It's good to see everybody in the house tonight. We are so honored, so glad that you were here with us this evening. And so we're going to go ahead and get started. So if you will, uh, allow me just to kind of bring you up to speed of where we're at before we go any further. So we're in chapter 3 of Galatians. How many of you are enjoying the study on Galatians so far? Man, that is awesome. Thank you, Lord, Uh, because you have to understand, me and Pastor Bradley, there's always that little bit where we're like, are they going to find this really boring? And if so, too bad. They got to listen to it anyways, right? Amen. And so uh, I'm glad that you're enjoying it. We're going to go even further tonight as we go into uh, the second half of chapter 3 in the book of Galatians. Uh, but the first half, if you missed out on last week or if you don't remember, I'll just bring you up to speed very quickly. Paul begins to... Uh, crush some of the theology of the people that he's around and the people that he's speaking to at the church in Galatia. Mainly he deals with in those first 14 verses is when it comes to the descendants of Abraham. Because with Abraham there was a promise and with that promise came an inheritance. And the inheritance was only supposed to be for the descendants of Abraham. And so the Jewish people grew up and they were taught and they were raised in this culture that that belonged to them. Paul shows up and says, no, listen, you are a descendant of Abraham if you believe in Jesus Christ. And so this shattered the thinking of so many and the Gentiles, it was like this moment of elation Like, I can't believe it. So what you're saying is that we can be accepted into the inheritance too. We can also be involved there, and Paul is saying, yes, you can. You did not have to be from the bloodline of Abraham. You did not have to grow up a Jew or go into their culture and become what they are. You didn't have to take on the law. All you had to do was just have faith in Jesus. And so we're going to pick back up, and we're going to start with verse 15 tonight. So if you have your Bibles, you can open your Bibles, Galatians 3.15. And uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. It's a lot of great stuff in these next 14 verses, and we're going to take the time to break it down. And hopefully we all leave here tonight with even greater understanding of His Word. Amen? Amen. All right, guys, here we go. It says this, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it, or adds to it once it has been ratified. And so what Paul is now trying to say is he's saying that God made a covenant with Abraham, and you cannot, just like how if if I had a contract, if somebody had a contract with me, and they brought it to me, they said, this is the contract, this is what's in the contract, this is all it says, this is what's required of you, and what's required of me, and if we both came to an agreement, we signed off on it, later on down the road, I cannot come in, or he cannot come in and say, I'm adding to the contract, I'm adding something else, or I'm going to completely, we're going to just void the contract, and that can't be done. And Paul is saying, you got to think about it in, in, in your own terms, in your own mind. Just like how you can't do that, you cannot go to the bank tomorrow if you have a mortgage and say, guys, I'm showing up and I'm going, I want to void the contract for the rest of my mortgage. The bank will look at you and go, sir, you still owe us money. You cannot just come in here and just, you know, and in the same way, you can't show up to the bank and say, I want to add some 
uh, a few extra points. I want to add some extra details to this agreement that will benefit me. Uh, the bank would look at you and say, absolutely not. You know, what you signed, that is it. And, you know, and we all know if you have any, if you have ever uh, been on your cell phone any amount of time, and you've had to, and it's like, please read all the licenses agreements. You know, we all just swipe until we get to the bottom and it says, I agree. Somewhere in that contract and in the 37 pages of it that you did not read, you can't come back later when they say you broke the agreement. You can't say, oh, well, no, actually, well, I didn't read it, you know, and I want to go back and I want to add that. I want to, no, the contract is what the contract was, and we can't add from it. We can't take away from it. And so Paul is saying, and we're going to see this in verse 16, so let's, well, we're going to see it here in just a little bit later, but Paul is saying, look, you cannot come when God made the promise to Abraham, and he said, this is what it is. This, this is the covenant I'm making you. Anybody else that came in and tried to add to the promise that God gave Abraham, or anything that tried to take away from that, Paul is saying that's, that's, their opinion does not matter. And that does not affect it, and nothing can come in and affect what the original covenant was. So now let's go to verse 16. This is what it says. It says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. And then Paul elaborates. He says, it does not say, and to his offsprings, plural. He says, referring to many, but referring to one, quote, and to your offspring, singular. Who is who? Christ. So now Paul comes in and he brings in another hammer. In the glass house of theology that these people are living in, he takes that hammer and he just throws it at the glass house, just watches it all shatter. And he says, I'm here to mess up your theology even more because, listen, the promise that was made to Abraham, it was never about blood descendants. It was never, and Paul elaborated on this earlier in the chapter. If you remember last week, we discussed this. He said the descendants of Abraham are those who, who have faith. But now he takes it a step further and says, if you go back and you look at the promise, we, 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 even I'm guilty of it. When we're sitting there and we're reading in, in Genesis and we're reading and you know, we're, we're reading about Abraham and we're like, wow, this promise that God gave Abraham, that is so incredible. That is so awesome. Even we think about where God says, and your offspring, you know, and this is what the promise is. And we think, well, Abraham's just going to have a lot of descendants. And Abraham's just going to have a lot of kids. And that's what we thought. And that's even what we teach our kids and our children. We say, hey, all it meant is that when Abraham, when he had kids, they had a lot of kids, then they had a lot of kids, and he, he's just got a lot of kids. You know, Father Abraham had many sons. You know, we made a whole song about it and everything. But Paul is saying it's not about him having kids. But see, he had one offspring, who was Christ. And he's going to elaborate on this later in the chapter, but I'll go ahead and, and say this. He had one offspring in Christ, and then when we, who were not a part of the, 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 the offspring of Abraham, that was only belonging to Jesus, when we decide to have faith in Jesus, we become a descendant of Abraham. And that's when Abraham becomes Father Abraham. 
And that's when we get to have a share of the inheritance. But it all started with one offspring promised to Abraham, and that was Jesus. It was never about him having all these nations. And, and yes, God did say, hey, you'll be the father of many nations. And you, 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 we get that. But Paul is saying, but the offspring, the whole promise centered around one person. One person. It was not simply a blessing of you're just going to have a lot of kids. You know, that could be anybody. Anybody in this room could go have a lot of kids in a few generations. Just go out, adopt, whatever, have 10 kids. Those 10 kids, I have two kids apiece, and then they double, double. Four generations, you got 100 kids. Even more than that, you got double than that. And so anybody can have a lot of kids. But the promise was not about having a bunch of kids for Abraham. The promise was about sending one through him that was going to be able to create a multitude of descendants that would be able to inherit the promise, the salvation of Jesus Christ. So let's go to verse 17. Now Paul decides, he says, let me explain it to you. Let me break it down. Okay? He says, this is what I mean. And I love that, you know, because Paul explains, he says, well, let me explain even further. In case you didn't get the first two verses, let's go into this. He says, the law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. Okay, so now we have a little bit of a timeline here. Now we have a little bit of understanding. We have point A. Over here. And point A is when God meets Abraham and delivers the promise to him. And then we've got point B. Point B is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That is the fulfillment of the promise. The promise was about Christ. And when Christ comes and fulfills what he had to do, that's the fulfillment of the promise. The inheritance becomes our salvation. Point A, point B. In the middle of all of that, several hundreds of years and just hundreds and hundreds of years between point A and point B, there is something called the law that is introduced. 430 years after Abraham, the law is introduced through Moses. And Paul is saying that when the law came in, it did not do anything to void the promise that God gave Abraham. And it did nothing to alter or change that promise. And so all Paul wants you to understand is that, look, you have to understand something, is that the promise that I made Abraham, what I spoke to him, that is still in place. That is still set in stone. And the law that came in later, it didn't change it one bit. It did not affect it one bit. It did not. And he's building this up so much because when we get to the resurrection of Jesus, when we get to the fulfillment of the promise, we have to remember that the law does not affect the promise. And so if the promise is faith in Jesus means you're saved, then we don't have to abide by the law anymore. Does that make sense? Yes, no, maybe. Hey, I got two. Man, praise God, two of you understand. It's kind of like school all over again where the teacher like writes all over the whiteboard and turns around and goes, anybody, anybody have any questions? And we're all too intimidated to answer, so we're just like, no. 
I understand. And then, then we have, don't worry, I was this kid. And then we had the test next Friday, and we all do horrible. Well, how come y'all didn't ask for help? I didn't want to raise my hand. Y'all know, I, y'all did it too. I, I did it myself. So let's go to verse 18 here. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by the promise. But God gave it to Abraham by the promise. Okay, so, and Paul just puts it right there. He says, look, he says, again, if the, if, if the promise was going to come, if the inheritance was going to come by the law, then there was no need for the promise. There was no need for God to meet Abraham and say, look, Abraham, one day an offspring is going to come from you, and he is going to be the salvation for many, and, and because of you, your descendants will outnumber the sand on the seashore. They will outnumber the stars in the sky, everything like that. There would have been no need for that because in 400 years, he was just going to introduce the law, and the law was going to give you the inheritance. And Paul says that makes no sense. And so the law cannot bring you the inheritance, only the promise can. And again, remember, Paul is trying to convince the church at Galatia, he's trying to explain to them that their attempts to live by works, to live by the law, is null and void, and it doesn't make sense. That what they're doing is essentially a waste of their time. And we still have people today walking the earth who, who want to try and live their faith by works, and they want to try and earn the inheritance, the salvation of God by works, and how much they do for people, and how much they give in charity, and how much they do for others. And, and, and I'll, I'll just be honest, guys, and I'll, I'll say it like this, that at the end of the day, it does not matter how much you did for other people. It does not matter how much you did for other people. The Bible is really very clear. He says that there will be people that stand before him and they say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not cast out devils in your name? Did we not heal the sick? What is all of that? It's works. I did good. I accomplished things. I did things. that, And I even used your name to do those things. And Paul says none of that matters because the end of that scripture says Jesus will look at him and say, depart from me because I never knew you. It all comes down to faith, and our faith leads to our salvation in Christ. And Paul is saying that is what, that's what this whole letter is about, is I want you to understand that nothing you do will get you to where you're at. So let's get to verse 19. Paul asks an excellent question. He says, why then the law? It's an excellent question, right? Why then the law? He says, then he goes on to answer it pretty aptly. He says, it was added because of, say it with me, transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. I'll go ahead and read verse 20. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So so let's stop here. Paul asked the question that everybody wants to know. And I'm sure you've asked yourself this too. When you're reading the Old Testament, if you've ever read through the book of Deuteronomy, then you know. Because you're sitting there and you're reading and you're like, why is all of this in here? 
why why is this law so stringent? Why is it so, you know, you know why could they not wear fabric mixed uh, uh, with two different linens? Why could they not eat shellfish? You know, why, how, you know, why did they have to do all these things? You know, why did they have to leave the camp for seven days and then come back? And then, and so it's easy to go, why the law? Why such harsh rules? Why such harsh punishments for those rules? And Paul says in verse 19, it was added because of transgressions. So what does that mean? Let's, 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 you don't have to turn there yourself, but let's look at Romans 5 and 20. Romans 5 and 20 gives us a good explanation. It says, now the law came to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so Paul, uh, our ans- Paul asked the question, here's our answer, why the law? It was because of transgressions. Well, what does that mean? It means the law came in to increase the trespass. The law came in to increase the sin. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I'll put it to you like this. You can't break the rules if there are no rules, right? If there are no rules, you can't break any. If there, are, if there is no law, the people cannot know what sin is. If I take a child, if I take my two children right now, because they're just one and two years old, and I never teach them any rules or limitations, nothing. They can do what they want, say what they want, act however they want, and I never give them borders. I never put child locks on the cabinet full of chemicals. I never stop them from throwing their spaghetti off the dinner table. I never tell them not to hit somebody else. I never get on to them, instruct them, correct them at all. Then they will grow up never knowing any limitation, never knowing what is right, what is wrong. And what's going to happen is is that it is going to create absolute chaos of a person. Because they, they, there will not be anything. They, they, there will be no sense of order by any stretch of the imagination. And so the law comes in to increase trespass, to increase sin. But why, Chase? Why would God want to increase the sin? Why would God want to increase trespass in the Old Testament? Why, why not let people live like that? Or why not make the rules not as strict? Why, make them, why not make them a little less, you know, grandparents know what I'm talking about. Parents, when you have kids and you let your parents watch them, the rules are not as tight as when they're at your house. Somebody say amen. I know because when I send my kids to my mother's house, I look at my mom and I say, mom, Deke has been having a behavior problem. If he acts up, spank him. And she looks at me, well, Chase, I just don't know if I can spank that baby. And I'm like, where was that energy when I was his age? You know, somebody, somebody talked back to me tonight, amen? And so the rules were not as tight as at, at, at uh, Grand Grand's house as they are at Mommy and Daddy's house. And so why not, God, why not make the rules a little less tight? He says, no, 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 I want to put them in a box so tight, so packed in 
that it, it's actually going to increase their sin because naturally we are rebellious creatures. If you, if you do any kind of uh, study or reading, and if you look at, let's just use parenting, since we're on parenting for a little bit, they actually tell you that the more strict you are, the, more, the higher chances your child will rebel. Now, I'm not saying don't have boundaries in place for children, because I will have boundaries in place for my children. But if you become an absolute dictator over every detail of their life, they will act out statistically. Not saying prophetically, I'm saying statistically. And so when God comes in and he begins to create this law of what you cannot do, what happens? People begin to act out. People begin to rebel. Sin begins to increase. And here's the whole reason why. The more sin increases... Because they know they're breaking the law. The law is in place. The more they realize they need a Savior to get them out of it. The more trouble that is caused, the more that a need is realized that they need a way out of it. If you want to look at a city in America where the crime rate is is exceptionally high, You can take Chicago. You can take Jackson, Mississippi. You can take any of these cities. Just go look at the top 10 cities for crime rate, for murder, for rape, for theft and robbery. Whatever you want to go, go down and look at. You look at any of those cities where it's basically pure chaos and all there is is just what we would call sin, but it's chaos, it's trouble, Anybody, any politician, any leader in that city will tell you we have an extreme need for somebody to save us from this problem because it is so much. There's so much danger. There's so much sin. There's so much murder. There's so much evil in our city. We must have a solution to the evil. And so when God creates the law, and he puts the law through Moses, he puts the law on his nation of Israel, God knows that Israel is not going to obey the law. In fact, he knows that nobody can maintain the law. Paul established that earlier. Only one person was able to maintain the law in his completeness, and that man was Jesus Christ. And so God knows, he says, when I put this in place, I know that they are going to act out. I know that Israel is going to rebel. I know that they are going to go through all kinds of seasons of where they worship false gods and they uh, turn to foreign powers and foreign nations. And I know that they're going to end up intermarrying with false believers of other women and men and other nations. I know what's going to happen. But what it's going to do is is that when Israel becomes such a desolate place because of their sin, they're going to realize that they have a need of a Savior. And who is that Savior? It is the promise given to Abraham. And so God has this grand plan from the beginning. Because we know when Jesus shows up on the scene hundreds of years later, Israel is now being uh, uh, put
pushed around, bullied around by the nation of Rome. And what do they, they're like, we desperately, we need a Savior. We have been in captivity. We have been held bondage for so long. We have been through Babylon. We have been through Assyria. We have been through all these. Now Rome has us, you know, they have our neck, you know, their hands around our neck. It's just terrible. We need a Savior. In the same way tonight, my wife and I have had this conversation many times before where we've had a student or we've had a friend or even a family member and we're watching their life from a distance and we're trying to speak into their life. We're trying to encourage them. We're trying to speak the Word of God and, and, and try to guide them through what they're going through, but they're not listening and their life is getting worse and worse and worse because they're bad choices. Many times we've had the conversation where I have said or she has said they need to hit rock bottom. They need to hit the bottom of the absolute bottom. Why? Because when you hit that place, you realize all of a sudden, I have a need for someone that can save me. I have need of somebody, something that can come in and pull me out of where I'm at. And that was what the law was for. That's what it did. And that is why if you try to live by the law now, if you try to live by works and deeds now, you will still end up in a place looking frantically for somebody to save you from your mess. But let's continue. Because we got some more. Verse 21. So Paul then says this, Is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. All right, so we just got done explaining the purpose of the law. We know what it was for. We know why God put it into place. It was to increase the sin because it needed to create an atmosphere for people to realize they needed a Savior. Because again, if life is all hunky-dory and you're doing great and life is good, you're good, everything's good, and I show up and I say, do you need to know Jesus Christ? Your answer will be no, because life is good. Everything is going great. But if the sin increases and the trespasses increase and you begin to fall to a place that is dark and hopeless, you suddenly go, I need somebody to help me. But is that contrary to what God promised Abraham? Paul says, no, it is not. He says, look, you have to understand, God planned it this way from the very beginning. Because if God wanted to, if it was in his design, he could have just created the law and for you to be able to obtain righteousness through it. We know we cannot obtain righteousness from the law. We know that that is not a possibility. We cannot receive the inheritance, the salvation of God through the law. We know that. But God could have designed it that way. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, this was all by design. This was all, you have to look at the bigger picture here. 
You have to step back and widen your view. Sometimes it's easy for us to be narrow-minded, to have tunnel vision, and to just see a small glimpse, to just see, and it doesn't make sense. Has anybody ever thought that, God, what you're doing doesn't make sense? I don't get it. I don't understand it. Well, let me put it to you like this. If I took a jigsaw puzzle and I dumped all the pieces out here and I picked up one piece and I handed it to you and I said, tell me what this is. All you would see would just be a muddied collaboration of colors in a weird shape. You wouldn't be able to tell me what it was or what its purpose was. But then if we began to put the pieces together and we stepped back and looked at the bigger picture, we could go, that makes sense now. It's a picture of a sunset over the mountains, and I was just looking at one piece of it. And so if you just look at the law... And you go, okay, it's the law that gets me there. Paul says, no, you're looking at one piece of it. You have to step back and look at the grand design. From the beginning, God made the promise to Abraham. Then he introduced the law so that when the promise came through Jesus, there would be a need for Jesus. Does that make sense tonight? Amen. Thank you, Lord. So let's go to verse 22. He says, but the Scripture, we can also say here, but the law, because that's what their Scripture was. It was just the laws, what they had. They had the Torah at the time. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Okay? And so this is, this is more... Uh, this is more uh, symbolism given here by Paul, and we're going to look at this uh, through, through a beautiful lens. So we're going to read it like this, but the law imprisoned everything under sin. Okay? So sin comes in. Remember, the law is there to increase sin. It's there to increase trespass. And so we're going to go, let's go ahead and do this. Let's go ahead and go to uh, uh, verse 23. In verse 24, we're going to read these two, and then we're going to just take a time, and we're going to really look at these three verses together. It says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. And then verse 24, it says this, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by our faith. Okay, so let's, let's break this down for a minute. So Paul says that we were imprisoned. The law imprisoned us with sin. Okay? The law was never about redemption or salvation through Christ. We, we just read in Romans the law was there for one purpose, and it was there to increase trespasses. It was there to increase the sin. It was there to create the need for a Savior. And so the law imprisoned all of those who were underneath it. If you were underneath the law, you felt imprisoned. And Paul gives this symbolism. He says the, the law actually served as our guardian. And so this is what I want you to picture in your head. I want you to imagine a jail cell and you're sitting in it. Now, the law is not sitting in there with you in the jail cell. The law is your guard. 
the law is the guard of the prison. And he is making sure that you stay in there. Making sure that you stay in that cell. Imprisoned. Until somebody shows up, somebody that you care about, shows up and says, I'm here to post the bail for this person. And then you are let out. And you now have the salvation, the freedom that came through the price paid by the person who came to get you out. Does that make sense? Amen, amen, absolutely. So I'm going to go ahead and explain it a little bit further. So if you're sitting in the jail cell, you're now in the jail because of the law. The law is outside of your cell. He is the guard of the prison. Jesus shows up to the prison. He says, I have paid the price for that one in there. Let them out. So then you are now let out from the curse from the imprisonment of the law, and you walk out because of the price that Jesus paid for you. All because you had faith and you believed in Jesus Christ. And because of that, you are now able to walk out of that cell free. A free man. A free woman. And Paul, he, he tries so hard here to get this imagery across because what it does is he's saying, listen, guys, and I want, I want you, Church of Galatia, to really pay attention. Just turn your ears to me and really pay attention. If you try to go down that path, you're going to imprison yourself. If you remember last week, Paul says, you're under a curse if you follow down the law. Cursed is the man who tries to maintain the law. Cursed is that man. Now in the second half of the chapter, he says you're imprisoned by the law. And so Paul, he's, he, he's painting this picture, and it's not a very pretty picture of the law. Now again, the law is beautiful through the right perspective. Remember the perspective that we just looked at. It created a need for a Savior. It created the need for a, it created the desire and the hope and the longing for somebody to come in and save them as Christ did. But the law by itself, without the promise, is a very ugly thing. Let's look at verse 25. It says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Just like we just said, faith has come, Jesus has come. He has paid the price at the prison cell to redeem you, to pull you out of that cell. And now once you walk out, you are no longer under the jurisdiction of that prison guard anymore. When you leave the premises of that prison, that prison guard no longer has say over when you eat, when you sleep, when you can go outside, when you can do whatever you can. But now you rest under the salvation of Jesus through your faith. It's a beautiful thing, amen? It's a beautiful thing. Verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. 
Okay? So again, this goes back to the, 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 the beautiful family picture that Paul is painting. I know, I, I don't know if you've ever sat there and done a family tree. Uh, I did one year, my, my grandmother, and uh, she, she's getting uh, very much up there in age. Uh, she's almost hit a century. Like she is, she is just, she is like a heavyweight champion. She is awesome. And she decided one year that she wanted to do a family tree as far back as she could because she wanted to see the whole family as much as she could. She even did that Ancestry.com. You guys know what I'm talking about? She even did the Ancestry. She wanted to see how far back can I see my family go. And if you've ever looked at a family tree, when it's gone far back, it's incredible. I was looking at one earlier, and I was amazed because it was a picture. And it was just, it was just a, a gentleman and his wife, and they were sitting on a bench. And the picture was black and white. It was very old. I'm talking like late 1800, I think 1892 may have been uh, uh, the date for the picture. A uh, very old picture. And then it showed a picture of the family tree. And it wasn't a very spiritual uh, uh, thing that I was reading, but it was just talking about the power of love and that two people back in 1892 were married. They fell in love. And because they loved each other, now there's like a hundred new people that are a part of this family. You know, because they had kids, and those kids got married, then they were brought into the family, and then those couples had kids, and then those kids got married, and then, I mean, grandkids and great-grandkids, and then you've got cousins, and you've got, and it just grew, and it just expanded. If you think back to your own family right now, you know, I think back to my parents, you know, and I've got one brother, you know, and then I think back to my grandparents, and they had six kids, and my dad was one of those six. I think about all my cousins. I think back to their parents and then their parents, and it's like, man, our family is really massive. It's really big. And it all started because of two people. It all started because of two people. And so now, we apply this to the Scripture. It started with two in Scripture. God shows up and He says, Abraham, I want to make a covenant with you. Because one day, there's going to be a great big family. And it's all going to come through you. So Abraham's like, yes, Lord, absolutely. And so Abraham, he's a faithful, he's a righteous man, and he, he does all that he has to do in his life, makes mistakes, sure, but goes through life. Moses comes, the law comes, everything. And then one day a man named Jesus shows up on the scene. Jesus, who we know is the Son of God, and he does his ministry, and he dies uh, the sinner's death that he has to, to be the sacrificial lamb. The third day, he, he is raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and now we know Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for me and you. Let me just stop right there and say this. If you've never thought about it, think about it tonight. It may help somebody. How cool is it that right now Jesus is praying for you? Man, you, you may have spent all day praying to God and the whole time Jesus was praying for you. Like, that's just, that, that's cool. That's incredible that, you know, the Son of God, Jesus, the, you know, my Savior, right now he's 
interceding on my behalf, praying for me. And so Jesus, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and so now it's like, okay, well now it's time to talk about the family. Remember, it's not about blood. It's not about blood. If you remember Jesus, when he was doing his ministry, while he was preaching one day, a woman ran up to him and said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers want to speak to you. And what did Jesus say? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he said, I tell you, my mother is anyone who believes in the kingdom, anyone who believes in my brothers or anyone who is in the kingdom. Jesus is saying, look, it's not about blood. Even Jesus acknowledged it's not about blood family and blood relations. We want to look at even more scripture. and when, you know, Jesus, when, during his ministry, he says, I tell you, a day is coming where son will rise up against father. Daughter will rise up against mother. Mother-in-law will rise up against daughter-in-law, and son-in-law will rise up against father-in-law. And Jesus is saying the day is coming where it's not going to be about blood anymore. It's not going to be about who you're related to and who you were born to, but it's all going to come to who do you have faith in? Who do you have faith in? That's the family tree. That's the family of God. That is what it's all about. And so I'll tell, I'll tell you this tonight. Some of you may need to go ahead and let some of that blood family go. Maybe time to let them go. I know, trust me, I know that we're here in the South and we pride ourselves on family and, you know, blood is thicker than water and everything else. But let me just go ahead and tell you, even Jesus said, it's all about the kingdom. It's all, about, it's all about who is sharing the walk and the faith that you share. And that if there's family out there, I'm talking blood family here, if there's blood family out there and they, they don't want to serve the Lord, they don't want to share in the kingdom with you, Jesus is like, well, that's not really your mother. And that's not really your father. And that's not really your brother or your sister. He says the one who's your brother are the ones here tonight. He says, that's your family. Because we're all going to be in the kingdom together. And when the Lord comes back and we riding up into heaven together and I look across the cloud and I see you guys and I go, brother, sister, good to see you. Why do you think whenever you greet somebody in church, you go, well, hey, brother, it's nice to see you. Hey, sister, nice to see you. It's not just some dopey thing we do in church. It's to show that this is all family. That's what it's all about. That's what it's always been about. Let's go ahead and let's go a little bit further in verse 27. He says this, he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. You have now put on Christ. Paul mentioned this earlier, that you have now taken on the righteousness of, of Jesus. You have now taken on the inheritance that was belongs to Jesus. I'll explain it to you this way. Not, and, and Paul is just, he, 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 he is hitting all the high notes here in the last part. Here he's saying, look, nothing you do amounts to anything. 
and it will get you nothing, absolutely nothing. But if you, if you were baptized into Christ because of your faith, you have now put on Christ, meaning what belongs to Christ now belongs to you. And we know what belongs to Jesus. We know what is his. We know that what is his dominion and what is his inheritance. And he says, Paul says, look, if you're baptized into Christ and you, you have been saved because of your faith in Jesus, that inheritance, guess what? It's now yours. It now belongs to you. But nothing you do is going to get you that. Nothing you do is going to accomplish that. I know some of you sitting out there are waiting on that rich uncle or that rich grandfather to go ahead and kick the bucket so that you can get an inheritance, and that's great, and that's dandy, and sure, hey, man, if you get an inheritance, praise God, and you know, go ahead and pay your tithes, and we're cool. Amen. Absolutely. But nothing you do is going to get you the inheritance of God. Nothing you set out to accomplish in your life will get you that inheritance. Nothing you set out to to do with your own hands and your own capabilities and your own understanding will ever get you to that place. It is only through faith and taking on Christ that you'll ever get to be put into a part of that family. Let's go a little bit further in verse 28. You've probably heard this verse. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. And Paul says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I feel like that should just be the anthem for every church out there. You heard me say last week that Sunday, unfortunately, is the most segregated day of the whole week. We all got our own churches. We all got our own thing. And Paul's like, look, there is, there is none of this separation. There's none of this difference. There's none of this, you're different than me. There's no denominations. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. We need to stop all the denominational uh, bickering and infighting. It's all about the kingdom, guys. And if we're fighting with our Baptist brothers, if we're fighting with our, with our uh, you name it, UPCs and anything else. You, now, I understand if there's people out there that are not adhering to the Word of God and we say, yeah, well, hey, look, they're just not. But, I, but if they have faith in Jesus and they're following the Word of God and they love the Lord God with all their heart, mind, and soul, then my goodness, we need to stop. We need to get off their back. It don't matter if they come to church here. As long as they're in church and they believe that Jesus, I'll see you on that same cloud. Amen? Amen. Everybody in here should say amen. Because what is happening is the church has a big problem of why they're not growing. And the reason they're not growing is because we want to spend more time fighting amongst each other than preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to argue with everybody else, and we want to try and steal people from other churches, and we want to try and one-up the other church and everything else. And I know that we've got to update things, and we've got to make things better, and we've got to continue to grow and you know, quote, you know, stay with the times, so to speak. Understand, I'm not saying we conform to the culture, but I'm saying it's good to introduce change every so often, as long as the gospel stays the same. Do you follow me? Amen. But what we cannot do is get into a competition with trying to fight among each other. Amen. Amen. 
because I've heard a lot of ignorance. I'm just going to go ahead and share with you a little personal fact about uh, 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 Mr. Chase Stewart up here on this stage. Everybody in here has pet peeves. For some of you, it may be bad driving. For some of you, it may be pets sitting on your couch. For some of you, it may be somebody chewing with their mouth open. I'll tell you what mine is, ignorance. Ignorant people drive me up the wall faster than anything in the world. That's why I can't go to fast food restaurants anymore. Because I can do their job a hundred times better than what they're doing. Why is it taking them 20 minutes to get me a cheeseburger? I could walk in there, throw one an apron, and cook my own cheeseburger in six. And so it drives me up the wall. I'm like, this is your job. You are literally paid to do this thing. And you cannot do it well. I want to go to Chick-fil-A. Because you know what's not a Chick-fil-A? Ignorance. Because they know what they're doing. I pull, up, I pull up, they smile, they're like, how can I serve you today? And I'm like, praise God, hallelujah. That's what I'm talking about. I pull up to a McDonald's, what you want? <laughs> to go to Chick-fil-A, but here I am. Because <laughs> we ain't got one. And what's happening, the, the problem is that we are getting so caught up in who's right and who's wrong and what's the proper way to do this. Guys, it's, it's incredible. If you just begin to just look at just anything on, online, uh, if you just go and listen to people just talk in person, the bickering and the infighting and how damaging it is to the kingdom and how we are literally killing ourselves over what? If you want to wear ties and slacks to church every Sunday and that is your conviction, praise God, do it. But as long as you've got faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then I'm going to heaven right there with you. You got no business arguing anything else with me. Acts 2.21, it says, It shall come to pass, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Period. Was no comma. If you want to sit there and pull out the red back, the green back, whatever color back you got, it could be a silverback gorilla. I don't care what you got. If you want and that that if you want that to be the only song you sing, praise God. Go ahead and do it. If you if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to see you in heaven one day. But we ain't got to fight about it. We don't have to argue about it. And I don't need to go talk bad or poorly about you or anything else. I just got to continue sharing the gospel of Jesus. And if I share it and somebody new comes to church and they say, this church doesn't, doesn't really, isn't really what I'm looking for. And they go to the church down the road and they say, this is more what I like. And they stay there and they find Jesus. Praise God. I'm not complaining. A soul got to enter into the kingdom. We got to stop all this because you don't act the way I do and talk the way I do. Then you're not really saved. Last I checked, you were not the one holding the Lamb's Book of Life. And again, I understand as Christians, we do have a commission to hold other believers accountable if we have held ourselves accountable. 
Remember what Jesus said. He said, remove the plank from your eye first before you check the speck in the other. So as long as you have examined yourself first, you are then able to examine your brother or sister. But we've got to get the plank out of our own eye first. And we've got to be in a place where we can look at them through the right lens and say, this is what needs to be done. This is how Paul says, look, he says, There's, there is no Jew, there is no Greek. He's writing to the church of Galatia. He's writing to a bunch of Greeks. And there's Jews sprinkled out in there. And Paul's saying, y'all got to stop coming to church and the Jews sitting on this side and the Greeks sitting on this side. He said, there is no Jew, there is no Greek. Because back under the law, it was all about this is the slave, this is the handmaiden, this is the servant, this is them. Everybody had their title and their class, and they had to stay underneath it for the law. Paul's saying, you don't understand, we're not under the law anymore. There is no more slave and free, no more Jew. He says, we are all one in Jesus. And that's all there is to it. So let's go here. Let's go to verse uh, uh, 29. As we close out chapter 3, he says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heir according to the promise. And then, I just love the way he ends that. He says, look, he says, if you belong to Christ, then you are the offspring of Abraham. Because you have been, what did we just say a few verses earlier? Let's go back and let's, let's look at uh, verse 27, if we can pull up verse 27 again. It says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. And the offspring that was promised to Abraham was who? It was Christ. And so if Christ is the offspring and our faith in Jesus and our salvation through Jesus helps us to put on Christ, we now become the offspring of Abraham. We now become heirs according to the promise given to him. If you will stand with me this evening. This is what I want to say as I close. If you are heir to the promise, if you have access to the inheritance, and you do, if you have been saved, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your, as your Lord and Savior in your life, you have access to that inheritance, I want to encourage you tonight to begin to walk in your inheritance. I want to encourage you to begin to walk in the promise that God gave you. God's, God's Word is full of promises. It is full of so many things that we have access to that we don't truly walk in, that we don't truly ha- hang on to. And I encourage you to go home. You can, you, you can Google it if you have to. You can flip through Scripture until you find them. But get you a list of promises found in the Word. And every morning you get up, every morning you wake up, you begin to claim those promises over your life. Did you know that you don't have to live in sickness and in poor health? Now again, let me just explain this. There is accountability. 
You cannot eat whatever you want and then ask God to shed your pounds for you. Somebody say amen. Amen. I cannot sit in my lazy boy all day, every day, and ask God to heal my back problems. Get up and work. Get up and move. Muscles and joints will help themselves. But did you, did you know that you, you don't have to, did you know that you don't have to live in anxiety and depression? Did you know that there was a promise of joy and peace that is given to us, descendants, offspring, part of the family of God? There are just perks. There are perks. There are benefits that come with being a part of the family of God. Things that other people do not have access to. Growing up, you know, my dad, he still is a pastor, but I was a pastor's kid. And so I was, you know, I'll admit it, I was a little snobby at times because of it, because I was better than everybody. I just didn't tell them as much. Uh, but but I, I was better than them uh, because I got to do things that other people didn't. I had a key to the church, and so I could go in, and if I wanted to go in and watch a movie on the big projector screen in the sanctuary, I could do that. I knew where all the good food was in the church. If I wanted to go in and help myself, I could do that. Not just anybody could do that, but I could. If I wanted to walk into the nursery and eat all their snacks, I could do that because I knew who my dad was. Now, I might get in trouble for it, but I knew dad would take care of me. But there were some things that I just got to do that others couldn't because of who my dad was, because of who my father was. In the same way, when, when and Paul is just trying to so eloquently put this throughout the book of Galatians, he's saying, you have been adopted into the family of God. And I encourage you to walk in the benefits and the inheritance that that has been given to you through that promise. Walk in them. Walk in them. You're no longer a slave under the law. If we were still under the law, sure, you could walk around with your head down every day, all day. Because the law was prison. The law was just cruel. But we don't, we're not under the law. You're walking around free, out of your prison cell. If you've got your head hanging down low, it's time to start reading promises over your life and saying, God, I'm a part of your family, and this is what I have access to. I have access to joy. I have access to peace. I have access to healing. I have access to what you have given me through your word because I am a son. I am a daughter of you. Amen? If you will, bow your heads with me this evening.